Hello, listeners. Before we start today's episode, I'd like to let you know about a few resources that we will be experimenting starting with this podcast episode. On our Facebook page, you'll find a PDF uh, worksheet that you can follow along with this podcast to take notes and to highlight important parts of the outline. This, uh, this worksheet is going to be entirely for your benefit and is going to be entirely for your notes. If you'd like to use this for a small group or a group resource, you can absolutely feel free to use this as a discussion guide. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. It is definitely one of my favorites, and I hope that you are able to learn a lot. Thanks for listening. I want to talk about it from this perspective. I want to say that pornography destroys us. What does pornography teach? Sex outside of context, sex without meaning, sex without connection. Sex trafficking is actually driven through the porn industry. There is help out there. There is a way out of that addiction. Are you ready to get help? Are you ready to take the first step and ask for help? Porn's hiding something. Let's talk about it. Hello, and welcome to the Silent Truth Podcast. Uh, my name is Warren Davey. And Tashara Oliver. And we are your co-hosts for today. Uh, today, joining us, we have Mrs. Linnell Zanstra. Uh, she is a counselor for women, uh, and she has been kind enough to join us uh, in the midst of just everything going on. So, uh, Ms. Linnell, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Um, well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you do, what that looks like, and uh, why you feel passionate about this issue? Okay, great. Thank you for asking that. It's the perfect lead-in. I work in the mental health area in private practice in Dallas. Specifically, um, I am credentialed in women's issues, marriage and family issues, and grief and loss. And so I either meet with women or I meet with a lot of couples talking through issues in their relationship, what's gone wrong and how do they begin to pursue something that will actually bring joy in their relationship and in their lives. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Well, we have a list of questions here that we uh, would like to ask you. Uh, If that's all right with you, we'd like to start the questions. Great. Great. So the first question is, uh, what are some different consequences that women will face uh, from porn usage? Why is it more than just a bad habit? Great question, but I'm going to hijack the question from the very start, if that's okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Go for it. Take it away. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. I appreciate the grace. Before we can even talk about consequences of porn, and the use of it, and I will even go so far as to say the addiction to it, we got to start with asking the question, why? Why is it even an issue? Which means we have to look back at the whole concept of sexuality. And I would say sexuality and spirituality are inseparable. We have drawn recently, just in the last 30 years, 40 years, we've drawn a line that completely separates sexuality from spirituality, and we don't want the two to cross. We do everything we can to make sure that the two do not ever intersect, because since we've got a bad theology on it, that is shame-inducing. So I would say we have to begin with a theology of sex. 
Why sex? What's it even supposed to look like from a biblical perspective? That takes us back to the origin of sex, which is the Old Testament. The Old Testament word in the original language for sex is actually the word yada. It's Y-A-D-A, and it means to know. It is actually used, I can't give you an exact count, but over 900 times in the Old Testament. Okay, there are not 900 instances in the Old (laughs) Testament of, of sex as a sexual act between a husband and a wife. Because the issue is the same word for that sexual intimacy, we translate it also as to know. It's to know and to be known. And so it's the same word when God speaks of knowing us. Psalm 139.1, you know me. That's the exact same word for sexual intimacy. So the purpose of sex is to create relationship, to create intimacy, to create that knowing. And I am absolutely convinced that in every generation, maybe every two or three generations, Satan finds a strategy to steal, kill, and destroy. He finds a strategy to derail the church and to turn it into our our Christianity and our practice of it and the expression of it, to turn it into duty and to ruin it so that the church is not the church and our witness is not something that becomes salt and light to the world. And I'm convinced that for this generation especially, he's done that through sexuality, that it's poison, and that the biggest expression of that is in pornography, because pornography is, okay, I got to look back and see what was even the original question, because I've gotten myself so far off track. I want to make sure I actually answer your question. No problem. Okay, because, (laughs) okay, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that it's a tool. Interestingly, okay, you ask about specifically, obviously, women and porn usage. I can't give you an exact number of hits, but the internet, Google searches, there are billions of hits a day. 15% of all the hits on Google are looking for porn. That's a Staggering number. And it used to be that the vast majority of that were men looking for pornography. Because the minute they took it off the shelves at the convenience store and put it on the internet, it seemed like a victimless, embarrassless crime. But now, 30% of all hits looking for pornography are women. Because if Satan is behind it and it's an attempt to steal, kill, and destroy to ruin our joy and our relationships and our marriages, then that's a great way to derail it. And the way he does it with women that's different from the approach in the early days of pornography and how it appealed to men. With women, it appeals to us in the story. Porn in the early days had no story. It was just the sexual act. Now, In order to appeal to women, they build a storyline into it. And so it attracts women in a way that it didn't used to. Um, As far as different consequences, interesting question because I don't think the consequences are really profoundly different. The consequence is that it 
ruins relationship. It ruins... Okay, let me use sugar as an example. If you were starving and someone offered you a cookie, you would eat it. You would be excited to eat it. Absolutely. It's something to eat. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You would celebrate eating it. It would seem perfect to the minute. But if all you ate were cookies, you would get sick. And you would also lose your taste for good food. You know, there's a huge movement in the nutrition industry at the moment to get everybody off of sugar. And what people will say they discover is when they get off sugar, fruit tastes sweeter, food tastes better, and the further distance between themselves and sugar, the less they crave it, and the more they find themselves craving the good and the real. That's what porn does to women. It destroys our desire for the good and the real and the honest and instead gives them a desire for that which steals, kills, and destroys, that which isn't real. Yeah, and kind of going off the steal, kills, and destroys, um, that doesn't come all at once. You know, it's not like Satan's running around with a blowtorch. It's more like he's running around with with seeds, you know, planting seeds because he's in it for the long haul. Like you and I are here for for 80 years, if we're lucky, 100 years, you know, he's in it for the long haul. And so he has the time, he has the time to plant seeds when you're young, plant seeds when you're a teenager, which, you know, even from some of the statistics we took at our Silent Truth event, um, the majority of people started when they were 13 years Mm -hmm. old, 14 years old, like young, young. So if you can plant seeds, that'll change the course of your life for the next 80 years, he'll be happy to sow seeds then and not you know, usually if, if some if, if life crumbles, if life falls apart, that's when you have a come to Jesus moment. You mm-hmm. know, like you have those moments where you're like, okay, life is falling apart, time to turn to something else. But that doesn't seem to be his, his main strategy. The main strategy is slow and steady wins the race. You know, plant the seeds when you're 14 years old, reap the consequences at 30. Absolutely. Um, that seems to be the strategy there. Okay, frighteningly, statistically in the United States today, the average age that someone is introduced to porn is nine yeah it's nine and a nine-year-old never goes looking for it a nine-year-old stumbles onto it they're searching you know if you i'm not gonna name it because of copyright issues but if you searched for a certain kind of doll that little girls used to play with and you misspell it by one letter the doll doesn't pop up and the website with all the fun things to color having to do with pornography pops up So it's been designed to trick and to lure and to introduce at an early age. And you're absolutely right. Over the course of years, it actually changes a brain to do a PET scan on someone who's an eight-year-old. Okay, obviously we're dealing with maturation issues too. But to do a PET scan on somebody who's nine versus doing a PET scan on somebody who has been on porn websites for 40 years changes everything including brain chemistry so the saying in the the saying in the industry is what fires together wires together so enough stimulation of that kind actually changes the synaptic junctions in our brain and it and this is for men and women And you're right, it starts when you're little and it takes repetition and reinforcement before it actually happens. But the 
the insidiousness of porn is the fact that after you've been exposed to porn a certain number of times and you've gone back and you've gone back and you've gone back, nothing excites you except more and more porn. And it actually gets you to the point, which obviously I'm talking about married couples now, women and men. It gets to the point where you cannot be excited outside of porn. And so even if they're not involved in porn, they'll have to think about that porn in order to be sexually excited within the relationship. Because without that specific stimulus, you completely lose the desire. It, it's like a callus that develops on your soul and on your sexuality and your spirituality. You can't feel anymore. And so it takes more and more. It takes greater levels and it takes going back to it. No one goes back to the same pornographic image time and time and time again. They go to more. And they go to a little more dangerous and a little more threatening. It has to get heavier. It has to get worse. It has to get more in order to maintain the same level of excitement. I don't know a woman on the planet who would say, I think I'll look at something on my computer that in 20 years will totally blow up my marriage and ruin my life. If we look at it as the danger that it is, we will be way better at fleeing from it. Because as much as it seems like there are no consequences, it simply doesn't look like consequences today. But the consequences will be profound. And I, and I think I think that really leads into our next question. Yeah. Um, so kind of we know uh, one thing we know about addiction is that the actual acts of whatever it is, whether it's drugs or sex addiction or whatever that may be, um, it's hardly ever about actually enjoying the drug or actually enjoying the sex but there's kind of something underlying about it that keeps a person going back to it mm -hmm. and so as far as like porn and sex addiction addiction um what do you think the underlying issues are that turn women to pornography and turn women um to a sex addiction and like why do those addictions start that's a great question what turns women to this in the first place Specifically as women, okay, as human beings, but specifically as women, even more so, we are created for relationship. We're created first and foremost for relationship with God. And that's expressed through relationships with other people. So we have a longing for real, honest, legitimate, deep relationship. To be known, as you were saying before. To be known, to know and to be known. Absolutely. We have a longing for intimacy. When that need, that urge, that desperate longing is not met in a healthy way, we will find another way to meet it. That's simply, mm, yeah. it's, it's just the way the world works. I would say, okay, here's a definition of an affair. An affair which can be a sexual affair with another person. It can be an emotional affair with another person. It can be, there's probably eight different def, definitions, eight different types of affairs within it. And one of them is an affair with a fake person on your computer. That's pornography. But an affair is a, an, a legitimate need that you meet in an illegitimate way. It can be through work. It can be through 
status and position and reputation, we all have legitimate needs. But when we meet them through an illegitimate way, we get into trouble. That need for relationship is legitimate. When it turns into trying to meet it on the computer, we're in trouble. Yeah, I think you can even, you can see that in other avenues as well. So like people who are alcoholics and who have maybe like a legitimate need to um, process whatever life problem is like happening. Um, and of course, yeah. alcoholism can also be um, genetic as well. But, you know, having a legitimate need to process the things that kind of happen to you in life and trying to meet that illegitimately illegitimately with a substance like alcohol mm -hmm. that is only yeah. temporary and that only allows you to forget or process that for a temporary amount of time and not um, in a healthy way. Absolutely. You're right. We have to deal with pain in our lives. The illegitimate way to deal with it is to anesthetize it through drugs and alcohol. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think that even goes back to what you're saying is it builds calluses. Um, you look at, you look at someone who say turns to alcohol or drugs for, um, for solving emotional, deep emotional pain. They're not addressing the issues. They're forgetting the issues. And for someone who begins a porn addiction, there's a need for intimacy. There's a need for closeness. And you're not getting closeness. You're not getting intimacy. All you're getting is, hey, this is good enough for now. Hey, this is like causing me to forget that I'm alone. And you don't address the fact that you are alone. So obviously it's way more than a bad habit. It's incredibly self-destructive. And it is sneaky. Because it does, it increases in levels and in depths, and the habit itself becomes self-destructive. Yeah. One thing I keep commonly hearing is that uh, people look up one day and, and realize, mm. like, how did I get yes. here? You know, like usually it starts out with uh, maybe like something soft, soft core pornographic. You know, books, um, words. You know, things you wouldn't even think of as like pornography. You know, something slightly scandalous in written word. Like you don't think when you think pornography, you don't think words. You don't think any literature or writing, but, but, you know, eventually one thing leads to another and you have to keep increasing the levels of, of, of arousal, the levels of, of what you're doing until finally you look up one day and you're like, how did I get here? And it's, it, like you said, it's insidious. It is. And I find this so completely, oh, I don't even like hearing myself say it, but one of the genres of porn that, you can probably even trace the exact beginnings of it. But one of the genres of form that's growing at the fastest rate right now is called mommy porn. And, and it's no. designed, and doesn't that make you sick at your stomach? It is designed to attract young married women. Young women in relationships, even if they're not married, and to convince them that there ought to be more to the relationship than there is that it ought to be sexually more fulfilling than it is, that it ought to be more adventurous than it is. And so what it does, it lures them in. It's the whole genre of erotica. You couldn't have gone to a bookstore, if you can even find a bookstore in your hometown now. You couldn't have even gone to a bookstore 15 years ago, maybe not even 10 years ago, and found the sign at Barnes & Noble over a section of the books that say, like it says, history, teen fiction. You can actually find one now that says erotica. 
That's it's its own it. genre. It's its it own thing. It is. And that is so disturbing. The entire intent of it is to make you dissatisfied with what you have so that you will want more of it. And, and it's crazy because, you know, we take such a, such a serious stance. You know, we talk about um, in our TV shows and programming, we make advertisers disclose, hey, there's subliminal messaging going, or we're, we're product placing here where you're having like these celebrities appear or whatever, you know. There, there's like certain laws in place about that. But so many of our young people, like you said, starting at nine years old, if that's the average, you know there has to be people younger than that. I've talked to people who started like five years old, mm-hmm. really, really young. All their lives, they're being taught sexually. Like their sexual education is pornography. I would say for most of America, right now, sexual education happens through pornography. Heartbreaking, but absolutely true. And it's its own industry. You're letting an industry that's marketed to grow and to develop and to take tell you, hey, this is what's normal. Hey, this is what is like we think is normal. What we think is normal is you should buy more of what we have it's all market and it, it's really terrible that, that that is the the mindset going into it and it is a market there are people out there making billions of dollars off blowing up our relationships and our future relationships mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i even think about how uh, you mentioned this one about how it being a lure how pornography can be a lure and just kind of like thinking about bookstores and how, like, you know, maybe the average parent thinks it's, like, okay to let their nine-year-old to kind of roam around the bookstore, you know, by themselves. Because, I mean, what what's so harmful about a book? And, it's a bookstore. It's a bookstore. Right. Yeah, it's a bookstore. It ought to be a safe place. Yeah, and they could just as easily wander down an aisle that has, like, like you said, like, history, fiction. And then it has, like, erotic literature. And they're like, what's that? And they pick it up. And that's just, like, something just as simple as that can happen so quickly. And the fact that material like this exists in the same places as children's books and things that are supposed to be, you know, for family time or, or whatever. Um, that's just, yeah, that's just kind of hard to digest, I think. Yeah. Same thing if when you see, and I am not condemning this at all, <clears throat> but when you see young families that are out to dinner and when the two-year-old starts to three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, starts to be disruptive at the dinner table because they're finished, and they hand them their phone to watch something, rarely do we think to put a, a lock on there so that they can't get off that screen. It only takes two or three swipes to get from where they are to someplace dangerous that introduces something. That You're right. When you're talking about five-year-olds, eight-year-olds, ten-year-olds, it's it's Solomon saying, do not awaken desire before the right time to put that tiny seed in even an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old that they can't know what to do with. And it warps how they think about themselves and about sexuality for a lot of years until they have to go through a conscious series of actions, choices, decisions, actions to rewrite the tape that plays in their head and to develop a healthy one. It's put on, put off. And they're going to have to do both at some point. There is nothing else that is that dangerous that we would let our kids get that close to. We would put up walls between us and it. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Well, I think one topic, one theme that's been coming up a lot has been uh, it, it has negative effects in the future. 
um, there's bad things that are going to happen in the future. You talked about a tape that needs to be uh, re-recorded. You know that 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 unless you re-record it, what's going to happen? I was wondering, as as someone who's counseled many women and, and couples, how have you seen the negative effects play out later on in life? You know, after after a while, like what are some of those negative effects that can happen relationally, and not even just like romantic relationship, you know, between couples, but even like platonically, like like how does it all affect everything? How does it affect your entire web? Because it does. It affects every avenue of your life. How does it affect your future? It's like throwing a bomb into a crowded room. It affects everything and everyone in your future. A lot of what I deal with in my counseling practice is couples therapy. And to a, for a fairly large extent, what they're struggling with is a relationship that wasn't what it should be and nope they couldn't put their finger on it couldn't couldn't say exactly what the problem was but there are anger issues there are um, control issues there's a lack of real connecting there there is a a partnership but what happened was fairly soon into the relationship, and I'm going to talk about relationships first, and then I'll talk about platonic relationships. They're, what they find is that fairly quickly, the honeymoon may have been great and may have been steamy and may have been what they wanted, but fairly quickly, they slide from the desire and the feeling like maybe they hit it for a couple of weeks of being soulmates. And what they find is that they look up and they're roommates. And they can't really figure out why. There's just an emotional disconnect. And I can't tell you how often it's because one or the other of them has been involved in porn. Or is involved in porn. And so it short circuits that ability to really connect because you're living a lie. You can't, we are not wired as humans to live a lie. And so if something's going on on the inside and you are pretending on the outside... It will haunt you. And it, what it does is it builds a callus over your entire psyche and over your entire life. And so you hold everything a little bit closer. If that's going on in your life, you don't really want to be known. You don't want to be transparent and vulnerable because someone will see that. And very few couples are open about that. If they are, they're open about that because it hurts the other person. It's, you don't fulfill me. You don't live up to what I see on the computer screen, so I don't want you. This is more satisfying. It's one of the most selfish things imaginable. So in a couple, whether it's happening before they got married and that becomes the norm and that's the and then they have to hide it from each other, or whether it's in their marriage and it leads to that dis- dissatisfaction, it's a bomb, relationally. And so a lot of what I deal with is having to peel off the layers because then it's not just the porn. It's the sense of betrayal. It's the sense of, I've been living a lie. So there's layer after layer after layer that you have to peel off when it's couples, relationally. It throws a bomb into relationships, even platonically. Because again, other than there is a season, sadly, um, in a 
in a young man's life where porn becomes something to boast about. You know, I've seen it. But rarely is there a season in people's lives where we boast about it and say, look, let's look at this. It's written in our souls that we know there's something wrong there. And so we hide it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a secret sin. But there is no real secret sin. That doesn't exist. It's a secret sin. And so what that does is it makes us, especially as believers, it makes us be disingenuous in our relationships with our friends. Because we talk about how good the Lord is and how he is satisfying us and how we love worship and how we're praying for that perfect person. And the whole time, there's this tape running in the back of our minds that says, and this speaks to the whole shame thing, and it's why it makes it disingenuous in our platonic relationships. There's that tape playing that says, you're a poser. You're a liar. This is make-believe. Okay, if it can be make-believe in your relationship with your best friends, maybe God is make-believe. Maybe everything you're saying is not real. Maybe all of this is a lie. And it chips away at the foundation of who we are and whose we are. And it ruins relationships across the board. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part of it, too, is a misunderstanding of, of the role of the Holy Spirit. There, there tends to be this, this expectation like, oh, I'll become a Christian and the Holy Spirit is just going to stop me from sinning. Like you expect the Holy Spirit to come out of the sky and tackle you to the ground like a linebacker every time oh, you, really? you reach for, for yeah, a mouse. You know, you know, and I wish that's how it happened. That'd Absolutely. be so much easier. I'd love for it But at that point, we wouldn't be free sons of, of Christ. We wouldn't be obedient children. We'd be pretty much slaves, you know, like forced to, to do the good thing. And, and so in, in becoming Christ-like, in becoming holy, like in sanctification, there's that double expectation of the Holy Spirit's going to do his side to, to purify you and, and to cleanse you, but you have to stop going to the dirty well. You know, you have to stop going back to those places that are filled with mud. Stop going back to those places and let him cure you. You know, you go to the doctor's office and, and say, doctor, give me a shot. The doctor gives you a shot. He does his job. What are you going to do? Go straight back into your, go back out in public and say, hey, someone cough on me. You know, it's the middle of Corona season. You're not going to have someone cough on you and then expect a doctor to cure you. You know, like that doesn't make sense. And, and that's exactly the way that we treat it. And then we start thinking, wow, if the Holy Spirit can't cleanse me now, has he ever cleansed me? Is this ever right. real? You know, and it causes so much doubt and shame. It, it does. Really. And so there are three levels of relationship. There's our relationship with God. There's our relationship with spouses. There's our relationships with the rest of the world. You did a great job of describing how it poisons each one of those, just a drop at a time, but it poisons and causes doubt and steals joy in all three layers of relationships. And the dangerous thing too, it steals joy from those real relationships and it makes you think, oh, maybe if I go back to that fake one, maybe if Uh, I go back to that moment that gave me that high, the last time I felt something was when I watched porn, maybe if I go back to that, it'll all be good. Maybe this is reality and it makes you start thinking, okay, maybe this is real. And then that goes back to the whole thing of putting false expectations. When you watch pornography, you put false expectations of what your relationship should be. You don't really end up marrying your spouse. You end up marrying an expectation of a spouse, an expectation of a sexual partner. And you start projecting what you've seen, what you've become accustomed to, what your mind has been brain brainwashed into believing is real. You start projecting that on someone and you end up marrying that instead of actually marrying another individual. You just end up marrying a mirror image of yourself, a mirror image of what you expect to be the right thing. And you marry a shallow and selfish 
image of sexuality, the entire definition of pornography, I would go so far as to say the definition of a movie of a TV show is not real. It's not real. But when our expectations of what we see on the screen versus what we see in real life clash, rarely do we look at the expectations and say, okay, you're not real. And so I want to go to, we look at real life and say, no, I want you to be what I see on the screen. It's a complete reversal. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like a God complex, almost like a pride issue. You tell someone, hey, you should be what I want you to be. You know, you should be where I think you should be, not finding pleasure in where we both are together. Absolutely. Uh, I think, I think you both like did a great job just kind of explaining of how corrosive that, I mean, really any sin is, but specifically how um, sexual sin kind of corrodes in a unique way uh, than other sins. But so a question for you, Miss Linnell, is like talking about how we can kind of start to question like reality and our views of spouses and other relationships. Um, how do you think that pornography affects how a woman views herself? That's a great question. So I guess we've kind of gone from affecting others to mm -hmm. affecting self. Mm -hmm. And it, it can affect a woman in a multitude of ways, but specifically in two ways. One, obviously, like we've talked about, it affects her hugely if her boyfriend or her husband is involved in porn because the expectations put on her can be nothing other than destructive because they're not real. But also, as far as how it damages the woman herself, if it's her involved in it, again, it takes us right back to the what's real, what's not real. Where is, okay, I'm going to read you a quote. Where is real intimacy found? Where is our joy what do we want our relationships to look like for a single believer college age who's involved in it? Again, you got that disingenuous with the world. The fact that we yeah, I had an older friend, a man. Okay, when I say older friend, we're talking in his 80s, who used to say on, on a regular, so an old man, a godly old man, who used to say on a regular basis, I would hear him saying this to his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. There are three kinds of people. There are believers, and there are non-believers, and there are make-believers. And in the American church, unfortunately, we specialize in make-believers. And pornography makes you feel like a make-believer. Whether you are or not, it strips you of your birthright, of your heritage, of your joy in him. Okay, I'm going to read you a quote off of that. And it's by, okay, it's by my very favorite author, who is C.S. Lewis. It says in the way of, okay good yeah I can always find a C.S. Lewis quote for any situation okay he says this in the weight of glory we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum 
because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. Porn damages us as women because we settle for mud pies when there is a holiday at the ocean being offered by the creator, redeemer, sustainer, lover of our souls. We settle for way too less. Yeah, and I kind of want to build off that idea of the make-believers because we, we, we kind of hear that and we're like, oh no, there's nothing I can do. There's no escape. But, but in, in a quiet time I had recently, I was reading from Isaiah 29, uh, and starting in verse 13, it says, And the Lord says, so this is God speaking, the Lord himself says, Because the people draw near with their mouth, and they, draw, and they honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far away from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And so you hear that and you're like, okay, wow, like God sees straight through this shame. Like God sees straight through everything going on. He knows exactly, like he, he sees that my fear of him is something that I learned from someone else. And so you expect the next part to be like, because of this, I'm going to send a fire to the city of Jerusalem. Because of this, I'm going to call down meteors to strike the earth. You, you know, you, you hear this, and you're like, okay, like he sees through my shame. He's going to punish me. But that's not how verse 14 starts. So verse 13 is God sees straight through this. Verse 14 says, Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, until the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Like, God's not out to get us. He's here to say, like, hey, I see straight through your lies. I'm going to do wonderful things until that callous disappears. I'm going to do such miraculous things that you have no choice but, but for that calloused heart, the walls that you've built around your heart to come crumbling down until the advice that the world gives you. You know, the world says porn is a good thing. The world says, oh, it's such a good thing. It's a liberating thing. It's a feminist thing. We've heard all these stories before. Until all those things crumble, God is going to keep doing wonderful things. There's going to be stories of recovery. There's going to be stories of hope. Like if you are struggling with pornography out there, know that this isn't the end. If you've been a make-believe Christian, this isn't the end-all be-all. You have to be resigned to this fate forever. There's no turning around. Um, and actually, that kind of builds on to our next question for you, Ms. Linnell. Um, what are ways that we can take steps towards that hope, towards that recovery? Like, what are next steps that, that you would recommend to someone who's maybe listening right now, who, who might be saying, hey, I've been a make-believer for such a long time. I've been that third category. What would you recommend to that? That is the perfect final question. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and there's probably three or four different parts of that. First, okay, if that is you, absolutely true. God is a God of redemption and of restoration. And I completely fully with every fiber of me believe in a sovereign God who spoke the world into existence and who with a word could speak this out of the world. But scripture is full of references we mentioned earlier to our responsibility. So yes, we belong to a sovereign God who redeems and restores. Quite often, Part of that equation, although I've known people who have been healed of addictions instantly in a breath and would tell you they didn't struggle with it ever again, that's an anomaly. For the vast majority of us with the sin issues in our lives, it's the two, you know, there's two tracks on a on railroad and they run parallel and they're both equally important because the train can't run on just one. It's the sovereignty and the goodness of God and the responsibility of man. That it is the put on, 
put off. It will require us, like anything in our life that we decide to do. If you decide to run a triathlon, let's assume that triathlons were even happening right now in the world. If I handed you a running outfit and a good pair of tennis shoes and a number that registered you for the New York City Marathon or the Boston Marathon or even the Dallas, could you go out and win it today? No. You would probably, at least I would be an embarrassing failure at it because I haven't trained for it. The Christian life takes training. And training implies hard work and longevity. Dealing with pornography in your life requires longevity and hard work. It is confession. First John 1 John 1.9, confess your sins and he'll be faithful to forgive you. And the first thing I would say is confess your sins to the Lord. Pour out your heart to him. Secondly, you need a trusted mature person to share it with. You go share that with a lot of people and they will say, I don't think that's a big deal. Clearly, that's not the person you want to be sharing it with. You want a trusted, mature person who you can say to them, will you walk with me in this battle? I want to be an overcomer here. I want this to be a battle, but a battle that's in the past. So the person that you will walk with. Then I would urge you find resources and I'm going to, okay, I'll just go ahead right now. I'm going to tell you one resource right now. I think this is a fabulous resource because resources will be usually somebody who is way ahead of you, who can speak back into truth and who can speak with authority and knowledge. And so one book that I recommend to almost everybody is by Dr. Julie Slattery and it's called She her practice, she's a psychologist and her practice is in sexual addictions and sexual issues. She said the last thing on earth she ever wanted to be, and you guys may not even know who this person was, but back in the days when all of this free sex started, there was a woman who they called Dr. Ruth, and she was the guru of free sex. And Dr. Slattery says the last thing I ever sat out to be become was the Christian Dr. Ruth, but because so few people address this on that level, she became that. But the book is called 25 Questions You're Afraid to Ask About Love, Sex, and Intimacy. And for anybody, I recommend this for absolutely everybody in their 20s and 30s. It helps you reframe the theology of sex, and it'll help give you some specific resources in her, we don't have time to go over every resource, but she'll give you some websites to get to, she'll give you some specific things to do to address it. And then I would say, so find resources was the third. And fourth, I would say, you need to find somebody to help you walk through it. You need to find a counselor, whether it's somebody on staff at your church or whether it's somebody on staff at your university in the counseling center, whether it's someone in private practice, you need to find somebody who will help you figure out what it looks like to put on, put off. And it's going to need to be somebody who's a believer because they're going to approach it from an entirely different perspective. But somebody will help you figure out how you rewrite the tapes about sex and how you rewrite the tapes about your own image of being created in the image of God, of that being a beautiful and wonderful thing so that you can embrace truth again. Yeah, and I think I would absolutely love to build on that. Um, you talked about the example of the marathon runner, 
Um, and I think that's so true because the, the Bible talks about, you know, you're born again in Christ. Right. You're, you put off the old, you put on the new. The old has passed away, the new has come. When you're a newborn child, you don't start running a marathon, you know. When you're a newborn child, you need someone to pick you up. You need someone to feed you. Mm, and and yeah. that develops over time. The ability to run a marathon comes through training and exercise. And so God gave you the body. God gives you that new life, that new body. But it's your responsibility to run in holiness. And so um, even a, a resource that I would recommend, uh, you guys have heard us talk about our recovery groups. Oh, that's uh, over right. And I'm over sorry. Again. I didn't even say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the best place to start. <laughs> Um, but, but one book that I made each of our recovery groups leaders, um, read as part of their training was a book called the pursuit of holiness. Oh, absolutely. It's such a good book. It, it, it talks about what it looks like to quote unquote, train up for that spiritual marathon to train up, you know, okay, God has given us new life. God has done his end. You know, if we're running a triathlon, he's given us the shoes. He's given us the helmet. He's given us the bicycle. He's given us everything we need. He's given us the body that we have to run. How do we make sure we use that body to the best of its ability to pursue holiness, right? Um, we have this new life. How do we use this new life for his glory? And so and it's an excellent book that doesn't address the issue of pornography. But really, when you think about it, pornography is a sin. And the way that you defeat sin is going to be pretty similar all across the board. Um, but specifically with sexual addiction, uh, like I mentioned, and I'll mention it again, we have these recovery groups open. Um, you, you know, Miss Linnell talked about uh, having someone that you can approach. If you don't have someone in your life, um, you can approach us. Uh, and these recovery groups aren't just for people who are quote unquote addicted, quote unquote, uh, you know, watching every day. It, it, anywhere you are in your in your uh, race to to end this, you know, uh, whether whether you would qualify yourself as addicted or not, it doesn't matter. If you need someone to talk to, if you need someone who who can reach out and say, hey, where are you on this? How can I help you? That's exactly what we want to provide here. We want to provide a safe, open space where we can just come together and talk about it. Um, it's such a silent issue, and that's why we call it the silent truth, because it tries to be a secret sin. It tries to be such a shameful thing. We want to reach out and, and talk with you about that. We want that door to be open. We want to have someone, uh, an older, mature Christian who has read up. You know, we're, we're not at the level of counselor, and I'm not going to pretend that we are, but, but we're at a level where we can do life with you. We're at a level where we can disciple, where we have older, mature Christians who can step alongside you and say, hey, we're here to help. Uh, we have men's groups, we have women's groups, um, and we've seen a lot of success. We've seen a lot of growth. And so these are groups that can do accountability and discipleship and just do life with you. And so uh, if you're curious about what that looks like, even in this season of social distancing, uh, I promise that we're still meeting virtually. Uh, Zoom has been handy, not only for hangouts and, and classrooms, but also for discipleship and accountability. And so if that's something that you feel you need in your life, I just want to uh, go ahead and tell you, you can find uh, ways to sign up for our virtual recovery groups on our Instagram page and our Facebook page um, at Silent Truth 20. And, and I just want to recommend that resource to you. Absolutely. Check it out. Join it. Get in one. Don't let this define you. There is joy. There is peace. There are great relationships, platonically and relationally, on the other side. Don't let this define you. Find truth instead. Well, that was a good word. So with that, thanks for listening, guys. And we will hear from you um, through Instagram or Facebook page. And yeah, see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to support the show, go ahead and like our Facebook page and our Instagram page and share our content. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell someone who needs to hear about this. 
about the opportunities that they have to open up and talk about things. If you'd like to start a recovery group, if you'd like to join one, uh, please feel free to reach out to us and we would love to get you plugged in and or help you and some trusted friends start uh, having open discussions together. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good day.